Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. It's Coco No-No episode today. Sure is. Or uh, as I like to say, Coco Yes Yes. I almost forgot. Another Coco No-No. Incredible. Incredible. Coco No-No. It's a hell of a combination. Drink will be gone. I think I've had enough already. This is gonna help me. Another Coco No No. Bullshit. Bullshit. Incredible. Another Coco No No. Coco No No. Coco No No. More isn't better. It's fun to go to a local Mexican restaurant that has a pina colada dispenser. And oh boy, order one up at two. That's what I did. Yeah, you've got a walkable frozen pina colada. Yeah, I walked down the street. Picked one up. Wow. We have a whole like segment about what we're drinking. So like we should start that segment, right? What are you drinking, Ben? I am drinking a shoot from the hip mango pina colada. Oh, so we're kind of drinking the same. Yeah, I did, um, you know, rum, lime, sugar, coconut milk. I didn't have coconut cream, so I did a little coconut milk and then, you know, a handful of frozen mango chunks instead of pineapple. And you're drinking it out of the hoof. Yeah. From <laughs> Star Trek Las Vegas. That's great. My wife and I have been doing a lot of uh, purging of crap from our house and garage lately. Wow. And uh, this was a, a recent bone of contention because it had been put up in a high cabinet and she was pulling stuff out of that cabinet and she was like, surely... Surely I can get rid of this. And I said, no, <laughs> Garrett Wong is going to buy this off of a internet auction someday. That's what's great about having a home studio. That is suddenly studio decoration. That's mm-hmm. what that is. It's not for house. It's for work. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it came out good, though. It's a, it's a nice drink, I have to say. It was a little shameful to, while my baby's daycare provider was sitting in my living room eating her lunch. Yeah. I went in there and got a bottle of rum from the table next to where she was eating. Where does she think babies come from? <laughs> I don't think you need to feel bad about that at all. That Yeah. Rum is what keeps the childcare employees in this country employed probably. She said, "Oh, thank you for Getting some of that job security and helping yourself to it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, how about you? That's a pretty down the middle, but very well-made pina colada, if memory serves. It is, except I think I jumped the gun on their pina colada slushy machine because I rolled in there Uh, just to let the viewers know. mm -hmm. This is about two in the afternoon that we're getting on the mics. It turns out it was a little early for the frozen pina colada machine to be fully frozen. Uh. So I got like, I think most people will understand like the the slurpy machine style consistency when it's not quite all the way there. Still really cold, but just a little, I'm holding it up to the camera for the viewers, (laughs) just a little, just a little thin. Yeah, yeah. It's got a real like rhinoceros semen consistency. 
And what the guy offered was like, yeah, do you want me to just put that over ice? And in my head, I'm doing the math. I'm like, no, I'm going to put it over ice. I want <laughs> all of the booze. Yeah, yeah. Don't try and step on my pina colada. Yeah, so I said no. I drank a bit of it on the way home. On the walk home, I should say. Because I was... <laughs> Because I was walking <laughs> responsibly. And then, yeah, I, I added some ice cubes to it. Uh, but fortunately for Wendy, I've kept it in the plastic cup so that there shouldn't be a lot of clanking. And here we are. I think it's fun that they gave it to you in a to-go container. <laughs> That's really great. Yeah. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I also have, like, a backup tequila seltzer in a can thing. Yeah. If I'm feeling good and, and, I, and I want more. I did a little uh, floater and stir when I got home. I added ice, but I added uh, also a little topper. Nice. Because I drank it down a little bit on the walk. I had to fill it back <laughs> up again. So. so that's part of the consistency issue. Yeah, I think I'm going to be uh, one cup only with this one. I think that'll set me up nice. Okay. All right. Well, I... Uh... Don't really have much to add to this, Marin. I think we should probably get into the episode that we came to talk about today. Yeah, pretty easy one to figure out, right? There's no kind of processing of clues mm. to make this story go, Ben. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 6, Episode 6, Riddles. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. And it's the first time Roxanne Dawson has been uh, in the big chair. She's in the Star Trek Directors Club with this one. I didn't realize that. I didn't catch the director credit as it went by. That's great. Yeah. She's still directing a lot of TV from what I understand. She, oh, I yeah. Think she's in the rotation on that Apple TV series Foundation. Oh, yeah. I thought that uh, her episodes of that were really terrific, uh, season one. I think, there's, I think there might be a new season of that coming or already out. Well- Pretty disappointing start to the episode from Jump with Neelix's <laughs> ambassador's log. And I don't know who his presence is more disappointing to, uh, the viewer or Tuvok with whom he has road tripped. Yeah. It's just them in the shuttle, and uh, Tuvok has no interest in these time-wasting games that Neelix wants to do. Species, starship, or anomaly is the fuck, marry, kill of Star Trek, right? It really is, yeah. Is species fuck? Because species, the movie, is a, is a movie about an alien that fucks. I'm almost positive this was a game that came up on Star Trek Discovery early on, right? That the crew played? Oh, shit. Do you remember that? I kind of remember that. There's got to be a memory alpha entry for this, right? Yeah, you would think. You would think, but I didn't click. <laughs> Somebody will have to do that research because it's not going to be us. Is this the first time that Neelix and Tuvok have been together on a mission since Tuvix? I think it is. Tuvix really looms over this episode. It really does. And goes unmentioned. How much more fun would it be if it were mentioned? Kind of a lot. <laughs> it would really up the fun factor. I think so, too. Yeah, so a riddle is proposed, and this is like a, we can occupy our time by me doing riddles to you, and you can uh, you can improve the quality of your mind, Tuvok. Very well. One riddle. I want to do a riddle about as much as I want to hear about a person's dream. <laughs> Just leave me out of that. I feel like I'm on like video-based social media apps. That's a real genre, like a... 
they tell you the premise of a riddle and then they're like, come back for part two to find out the answer. And it's like mainly just a way to game the algorithm. Like if you watch long enough to hear it and you're like kind of going nuts trying to think of the answer, then you go into their account and like engage with it. That's not a cliffhanger to me. Yeah. I just walk off that cliff. (laughs) I'm not grabbing hold of anything. You've always been the wily coyote of logic games. Yeah. Yeah. It's so exhausting to be around Neelix. We all see it. Yeah. Tuvok needs to put on headphones or something, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Tuvok kind of has headphone face (laughs) in which like, he shouldn't have to put on headphones for you to understand just by looking at him. If you sit next to him on a plane, he's not the type you want to just chat up. Right. That's what those like really, really expensive Apple over-the-ear headphones are about. It's yeah. a, it's like a $500 stranger talk insurance policy. If that's the case, they may be worth the investment for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No kidding. I have to say, I am not, I think it will become obvious as to why this is, I am not besieged upon by this a quarter of the time that my wife is when she travels. Yeah. I think it is an unfortunate thing that people are so comfortable just chatting up lady strangers especially and just like bothering them. Shut up. Yeah. Well, you look a lot stabbier than your wife. I do. Yeah. I've got Tuvok face. I would prefer some peace and quiet. So Tuvok is like hanging out in the back of the shuttle where he's gone to take some refuge from Neelix and notices that something's going on on one of the computers back there. He radios up to Neelix and he's like, hey, man, what are you doing with the aft tactical computer? It's really weird that it's just going right now. And he's like, it doesn't seem like something that an ambassador and he uses like live long and prosper fingers to do the quotes (laughs) would have access to what you doing. Yeah. What are you you up to? (laughs) This moment really confused me because the way Neelix responds is very much like guy who is trying to get away with something would respond. He's like, what? What do you mean? I'm not doing anything. Nothing. Were you at Haunted House? No, I jacked off. For 15 minutes? Yeah. It's not a great way to cover for what you're really doing. Right, right. So Tuvok is like scanning whatever's going on over here with his tricorder, and we see kind of a a shimmery effect. Somebody's got a cloaking field, and a phaser comes out of it and hits Tuvok, and it's a... It's like another innovation in fucked up face makeup from the Voyager fucked up face makeup department, which I assume is its own separate sub-department from the makeup and hair department, right? They've been busy. Yeah. Yeah. From the front, Neelix can only listen to this attack. And when Neelix pops into the back, he sees Tuvok flopping around on the floor as the camera spirals upward. And that really made me wonder how much Roxanne Dawson learned from... Jonathan Frakes, because that's a Frakes move right there. The Star Trek film school really teaches a specific style, it would seem. There's a whole semester about uh, God shots with Frakes. <laughs> yeah, he teaches God shots 301, which, uh, you know, yeah. like that's the really advanced level. How disturbed are you if you are on Voyager and you get the Mayday call from Neelix? I would assume <laughs> very disturbed. 
Yeah, that's not good. Uh, we come back and we're in the like emergency room scene. It is the captain, the doctor, and Neelix tending to the vibrating and and twitching Tuvok. No Paris, no and no other personnel in the room, and only a clip show device seems to help in uh, slowing down whatever is causing Tuvok to writhe. They do that thing where they ask Neelix, "What happened?" And Neelix has nothing useful to provide other than the story of him being like Kramer driving the bus and continuing to make the stops. He's like, (laughs) yeah, so Tuvok went down and then like, it was up to me to fly the Delta Flyer and I did. (laughs) They're like, Neelix, MacGruber remembered the license plate (laughs) that drove away. Yeah, Neelix, you had one job. And actually, no, you had two, because the one job was flying the Delta Flyer. Good job. but You did part one. Not a great witness is Neelix. No. So they come up with the idea, like, they were on a diplomatic mission to talk to the Kassat, and maybe the Kassat will know what happened. And uh, so they head over to, I guess, the Kassat part of the... Sector and they welcome Nurok aboard. Wouldn't you have killed for a Nana visitor in this episode just to say Kassat <laughs> and uh, and Nurok? <laughs> like she's so great uh, with those hard consonants, you know? That would have been amazing. Yeah. Uh, I immediately was delighted to see that Nurok is played by the guy that plays the feckless lieutenant in Platoon. Yeah. Just don't give a flying fuck anymore. Yeah, he's great. Good clock. He's got a a fun kind of feckless investigator energy here. He's like some kind of deputy police guy who's like obsessed with this kind of long shot theory that there's a secret species around here called the Beneath or the Shadow People. And uh, they have this history of attacking outsiders that you know fly their starships through this part of space and he's just like obsessed with the idea that there are beneath and that they can get to the bottom of this if they'll only throw the resources of voyager behind this theory that like apparently he's kind of a joke on his homeworld for believing you know who this made me think of and part of it is mark moses's performance and another part of it is just like his job and his reputation is it your preferred candidate for president robert f kennedy jr <laughs> this guy's like the fox molder of his species right oh yeah that's a good poll like they they make me work out of the basement i'm kind of <laughs> laughed at by my peers yeah i have kind of a will i won't i with a coworker that has been dragged along for many seasons. Yeah. She's really out of my league, and somehow I'm the sex symbol of yeah. like a lot of television in this era. Right. So he's got an interesting proposal, right? He's like, with, with my equipment and your Tuvok and the Delta Flyer, I may be able to prove my wackadoodle theory. Yeah. I'm the only one that will give it to you straight. The Earth is, in fact, flat. I'm not here to make Tuvok better. I'm here to give myself credibility. Like, that's kind of the edge to him is, is like, it isn't really about Tuvok for him. No, it's not. But I think that part of this is just that we live in an era where people are like constantly trying to convince you that there's like, 
you know, evidence of an ancient civilization in Antarctica on social media. But like, I was, I was just like, come on, like, why are they buying what this guy is selling? It's anything, though. It's like the belief in anything, no matter how crazy, is just a a different spin. Like, a, that's free thinking. <laughs> yeah. When did free thinking become just the name for being stupid? I don't know. It used to be the name for being, like, open to using LSD occasionally. I've got no problem with that. <laughs> Let's go back to that. I think the bad free thinkers have taken over the label. Yeah. And they think that, like, LSD is like a conspiracy from George Soros or something. It sucks. Of course, it's locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully, because I'm only going to say this once. Do it. Narak is impressed that Tuvok's brains haven't been totally stick-blendered in there. And he also hears that Tuvok found a cloaking frequency. Right. You know, like, the tricorder got fried. It was the first thing that got hit by that beam. Yeah. But... There is a chance that some useful information is still around. Did it make you think down the road that that might have been an accident? Like maybe these aliens didn't mean to hurt Tuvok, and by hitting the the tricorder, it was just like a weird incident? There were so many ways I thought that this episode was going to go that it didn't. Yeah. This episode surprised me at most turns. Right. So they go to Six Bay, and Nurok is... Really impressed that Tuvok didn't buy the farm in the attack. The EMH is sort of annoyed that he has to entertain this guy, but is saying like, yeah, like Vulcans have really super powerful brains, but he's basically in a vegetative state right now. So I, I think you should leave. <laughs> and so the captain offers to show Nurok to the, uh, the Delta Flyer which also might be a place where they can find some evidence. The doctor suggests a kind of provocation as a way to get him out of his coma. If anyone can provoke Tuvok, Mr. Neelix, it's you. And like Neelix's interpretation of this is to wheel in a bunch of personal items on a rock and roller production cart. (laughs) And like suddenly his hospital bed is looking like the floral section of a grocery store. Yeah. Oh, that's fragrant, isn't it? The doctor's supposed to be in there still doing business with other patients. They did this for Chicote one time too, right? When they like brought in yeah. like stuff. Yeah, they put the little scroll as a headboard. Yeah, yeah. With the like magnetic rocks that you could stick to it. God, that's really true, right? Chicote sort of set the tone as far as like upper class patients go in the <laughs> six bay. Like when you're bridge crew. Yeah. You get the hospital bed, like, in its own room with a window. Yeah, it's really nice. You know, Neelix really trying to set Tuvok up for success and uh, puts on some Vulcan music, if you can call it that. Yeah. He's also changed. Like, someone has changed him out of his uniform. Was that Neelix? I hope it was the EMH. Do you think you can beam someone into a new uniform? Is that a thing that future Discovery did or past Discovery did? Or was that, did Discovery just like make the uniform in a replicator and that's what we saw? Oh, yeah. We, we did see the, the uniform getting made in a replicator at one yeah. point. Yeah. It would seem as though having it beamed onto you would suggest like a sort of perfect tailoring. Right, right. But then you'd have to stand there nude. Mm-hmm. 
That'd be a tough couple of seconds, I think. I neglected to put on my uniform. <laughs> and a transporter accident could be, like, worse than zipping your dick up in your fly. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't like that. <laughs> you thought Tuvix was bad. What about Tuniform? <laughs> yeah, what about a uniform that cuts your dick in half? <laughs> That's not good at all. The doctor does not like the music selection that Neelix has made, but it does have an effect. Tuvok sits up. He's nonverbal at this point, but um, he has regained consciousness, and uh, this is great news. As performances go, Tim Russ's version of Tuvok here begins like a frightened pet. The way that he acts, the way that he's immediately bonded with Neelix... Yeah, Neelix shows him that the medical tricorder is not going to hurt him by using it on himself first. This is what Ripley responds to. <laughs> she doesn't like a hairdryer, so I always use it on myself first uh-huh, to show uh-huh. that it's safe. Yeah, it's like there's bedside manner and then there's diplomacy. Right. It's sort of like what you did, like Darwin didn't know what to do with babies when he encountered them, and then you had one at him. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you you better adapt. Yeah. You know, you better get used to this. (laughs) See? It won't hurt you. Over on the Delta Flyer, uh, Narak is finding particles from the attack, and these particles are going to allow him to use his instrument to reveal what the Beneath look like. Yeah. And what they look like has tentacles. Fucked up, man. Yeah. Can we use this tech to reveal cloaked ships? That's what Janeway asks. Seems like a great working theory. It does. Uh, Yeah, he's brought his virtual boy over and is working with Seven and the captain. And Seven is able to, like, up the intensity of his gadget. So they're pretty hopeful that they'll be able to take this and apply it to a bigger system like the deflector array. Janeway's been away from Tom Mervyn's for a long time. I think she's well-versed in upping the intensity of her gadgets <laughs> by now, right? <laughs> yeah. Get a check-in with the doctor who is, you know, talking about how Tuvok's brain is sort of rewiring itself, trying to form new pathways around whatever got damaged And the doctor doesn't really know if it's what he's doing or what Neelix is doing that's helping Tuvok get better. We see a schematic on the computer that sort of shows the parts of Tuvok's brain and the ways that the new pathways are being built. Like, for example, the part of Tuvok's brain that selects people that he'd want to be around Mm -hmm. has been totally fucked up. (laughs) And so, like, that filtration process that a person would do to ordinarily be like, Neelix is someone I just want to get a meal from, not have a meal with. Right. Like, suddenly that's part of the brain that is really messed up and is figuring out a new way to do things. And that really is the reason for everything that follows in this episode. It really is. The idea is, like, we need to expose Tuvok to familiar sights and sounds and... No more people that he hates because that's clearly slowing things down. So, Want me to break the episode right now, Ben? (laughs) Why doesn't someone meld him? 
Whoa. <laughs> kind of feels like uh, a meld situation would be on the table, right? Does Vorik even live on Starship Voyager anymore? I don't know. Vorik is story convenient. Yeah. Instead, what they do is walk Tuvok onto the bridge, and Tuvok is in, like, civilian clothes and, you know, walks in with the wide eyes of a child but is shown over to the tactical station where he starts pushing buttons. He Wesley's up there on the bridge, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, I guess he does. He Wesley's until he almost fires the torpedoes that they have very few left of. This scene made me think of something really specific about having a normal job. And that is, did you ever work in a job where someone left as a coworker? Like they got another job, they went elsewhere. Yeah. But then for whatever reason, they came back <laughs> to visit or say hi or whatever, or like have lunch with a friend or coworker, and they're walking through, they're like a ghost person. <laughs> Like, what are you doing here? Yeah. You left. Stay away. And for some reason, they want to, like, see their old desk or something? Yeah. No. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I feel like the couple of times that I've had jobs for, like, actual companies, I have mostly been at, like, pretty fucked up companies. And there have been a lot of, like, empty desks or, like, desks where there's, like, evidence that somebody used to use it but uh -huh. doesn't anymore. Like a Brooks was here desk? Right, yeah. And like my wife's job, like, you know, she changed jobs kind of recently and like she has changed jobs frequently enough in the past few years that like she never really like sets up her office or whatever. And so like she works in these very like impersonal spaces. So whatever arrangements she makes don't tend to last very long. Is that how you describe her? Yeah, they tend to be sort of fleeting and in yeah. a way that I find unnerving, uh -huh. I would say. <laughs> so like if you were, for example, to take her to her workplace, there wouldn't be any personal effects. There wouldn't be familiar sights and sounds. There would not be uh, a picture of you or Daron. No. <laughs> it could be anyone's desk. Yeah. An employee without ties or obligations. Right. Yeah. A real, you know, rogue operator, if you will. Captain the next stop is the Vulcan Vault, which is where Tuvok lives. This isn't going to help, right? Because all of his personal shit's still in Six Bay. <laughs> Neelix is like, you must remember this, right? And it's just a regular ass hotel room style quarters. <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't this working? <laughs> it, it should look more burgled. Yeah. Because <laughs> Neelix just came in and like helped himself to a bunch of shit. <laughs> it would have been great if like Neelix confides, you know, I've been staying in here since you've been in six bed. <laughs> you got a bigger tub than I do. It's a much better room. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they're down there when they uh, test the Nurok inspired modifications they've made to the deflector dish. And up on the bridge, when, when this deflector pulse happens, they see that there is a cloaked ship like right in front of them. And yeah. not only right in front of them, but all around them. They're fucking surrounded. And these ships do not take kindly to being exposed and start licking shots at the Voyager. This is a great moment. I love 
the scope of the problem that's revealed here. It's not just an isolated ship or couple ships. It's a fleet. Yeah. And they don't want to be hailed. <laughs> that's pretty clear. It's really like, be careful what you wish for. Like, modify the deflector at your own risk kind of situation. Yeah. The bangers that are getting dropped are even happening in Tuvok's quarters. And Tuvok may have had his brain mostly wiped, but he does remember basic earthquake safety. And right. he climbs under a table. He he remembers that the instructions were to get near something dull <laughs> and expendable. I'm here with you. Everything is going to be all right. After they're out of danger... He reveals that he also has remembered how to speak English. Yeah. The strategy that Janeway has on the bridge is like, as the ships scatter, she goes to follow one. Yeah. And they lose their tail on the one ship they were after by the time it's all over. The Beneth are fast as hell. What the fuck? Yeah. It's very frustrating. Yeah. So Tuvok is talking to Neelix and... I got the feeling that he was sort of like imprinted on Neelix, like a duckling at this point. Right. He's like, the only place I really feel safe is in the presence of Neelix. The idea of Tuvok being skinny Lenny is most apparent here, right? You know what Vulcans are capable of. <laughs> and when Tuvok starts speaking in his manner of speech, I mean, I can see no other conclusion to the episode than... Tuvok hugging Neelix to death or something. <laughs> Lenny Tuvok just wants to live off the fat of the land, you know? <laughs> Is Neelix going to be the one to shoot him in the back of the head by the end of this experience? <laughs> and I get the tinder wrap. God, that would be dark. Yeah. So Nurok and Neelix have a meeting with Janeway, and Nurok is like, this guy is, is talking again, and the particular details of the cloaking frequency may be still in his head, and I got to find out what he saw, what he remembers. Right. And Neelix is sort of arguing the other side of this. Like, he's saying, like, don't interrogate him right now. He's very fragile. He's, he's a simple, like, he just keeps talking about fat of the land and, like, petting mice and stuff. Like, he's not ready. You can tell Janeway has grown a lot this season because her instinct up top in terms of interrogating Tuvok is opening up a portal for the skinny Slimers to come through. <laughs> and she's just about to do that before she's like, no, that's not me anymore. That was that one episode and we've moved past it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, turns to Neelix and she's like, why do you have your one hand in a glove? And then they pan over to Chakotay and a pencil in his hand. <laughs> then he snaps. Tubak has been sitting on the floor outside of Janeway's office this whole time. I compared him to a puppy in an earlier scene, and this is maybe the most puppyish of Tuvok here. Yeah. Just the curled up by a door, waiting. Waiting for his master to come back, and that, I guess, is Neelix. He... Feels safe around Neelix, but not around Nurok. And not about Janeway, right? Yeah. They bring him in and sit him down at Janeway's desk. And 
Janeway's sort of leaning over him and Nurak gets in his nook and they start trying to ask him about what he remembers from being attacked. As I say this, I realize that Nurak is just a contraction of Nook and Tuvok. <laughs> you don't want to see the back of him getting into Tuvok's Nook. <laughs> it's the worst part. <laughs> but it's all been building to this. Yeah. But Tuvok doesn't have anything of particular value to them. Like they, they hand yeah. him the fried tricorder and it just kind of like takes him back to like a trauma memory and he drops it and freaks out and Neelix puts the kibosh on the proceedings. This is a scene too where like you know that moment when you hear an aging family member isn't doing well and then you finally see them and you're like, you go in with the positivity of someone who is there to bring positivity to a moment that everyone seems to know a little better than you do, like people who have been caring for them. Right. This is that moment for Janeway, who's talking to him with kindness and in sort of an expectation about like having a hang later or whatever. And sad moment when Janeway is like, I'd love to make it up to you by taking you out to lunch. (laughs) (laughs) And unfortunately, Neelix is the only person that Tuvok likes lunching with. Yeah. Like, it's only a second, but it's really sad. It really is. They do try to cheer him up with some Kalto. Ensign Kim and Neelix hang out with him later, and Ensign Kim is uh, teaching, you know, like the, the student has become the master kind of way. Like, here's how Kalto works. You love this game. As the ship stick man, you know I love to play games involving <laughs> so many sticks. Right, Tuvok? (laughs) And that's usually a joke that Tuvok loves, but not this time. This version of Tuvok thinks that the jumbled mess of Kalto is preferable to a perfect sphere. I like the way it looks now. (laughs) We have to talk about this at some point, and I think it's probably now. But the performance of Simple Tuvok as a kind of like what Tug Speedman would do in order to win an Oscar. (laughs) Hats off and go in there. It's such a line, right? Right. It's such a line to be wary of if you're an actor. And I want to be clear, like I think Tim Russ stays opposite the simple Jack line, but that thought was ever present in my mind as the episode went on, you know? Right, because like, I think that recovering from injury, like I'm a little bit spaced out and not all there, is different from I'm too dumb to go back to work now. I'm so glad you made that distinction because I think they are distinct. Like what we're seeing here is different from Simple Jack in some very specific ways. Yeah. I mean, also like Tim Russ isn't playing this as a joke either. No, yeah. And that helps. (laughs) Yeah, like when he rage quits Calto, it's not played for laughs. It's played for, like, this is a character in pain. I don't like this game. Ensign Kim usually doesn't last that long playing Calto, huh? (laughs) I lasted 22 minutes. Good for him. Yeah, nice work, Ensign Kim. Later in Six Bay, I want to call him Simple Tuvok to, like, make him distinct from pre-accident Tuvok. Is that mean? 
<laughs> is it mean or is it funny? That's the ultimate greatest gen question. That's the question. <laughs> I mean, I was writing dumb Tuvok in my notes, and I feel like that's like objectively mean. Yeah, that's way worse. I'm going to go with simple Tuvok, and I'm just going to get the letters. Listen, Bill is going to get the letters. You know, Bill gets them first. So consider that before you send them. We know it's bad. We know it's not nice. Also, like... Offer me and Ben a little bit of grace and a little bit of the benefit of the doubt on how we're describing people based on our reputations in the past of being generally people who learn and are nice and kind. Okay? Okay. We're just trying to come up with a nickname for somebody who has had severe brain damage. Okay? Hey, Ben, if I ever <laughs> suffer from severe brain damage, you can absolutely fucking call me Simple Adam, and I hope you do. You don't think I already call you Simple Adam behind your back? God, I'm positive you do. That is, <laughs> God, as soon as I finished speaking, like, I could just see the wiffle ball <laughs> lazily heading for your strike zone. Oh, yeah, I really ding that over the back fence. <laughs> It's easy. I've got to get that latinum. Put your latinum where your mouth is. I've, I've got to get that latinum. Nah, I think you've just drunk gold. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. 
but do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up, the episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you an order. Is that understood? I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you an order. You have just crossed the line. So Simple Tuvok tells Neelix about <laughs> what he's he's learned about himself reading his own file. <laughs> and he is at least with it enough to recognize that he is not the same man today. He's not complicated Tuvok anymore. No. I can't even play Calto. He is frustrated and emotional also. And we haven't seen him meditate once. He has freshened up zero candles, and he doesn't have the, like, Vulcan control stuff. And we've heard a little bit of talk about this. Like, he's experiencing all these emotions, and this is the big scene where he, you know, like, he he didn't like the Calto, but he really doesn't like the idea that he is diminished in the way that he has been. And there's a glass table in the scene with a bunch of his belongings on it. And it seems inevitable what's going to happen to this glass table. Yeah. It is fucking shocking that he upends this thing and it does not shatter. It's made of tough stuff. What the hell? Do you think they were expecting it to go and it just didn't? Either that or they went down to like a hockey arena and were like, what, what is the glass made of around here that the guys like check each other into? Because like we want some of that. If I worked on Star Trek and the scene called for a glass table to be flipped and during that scene it did not break and the, and the director, in this case, Roxanne Dawson's like, all right, that's the print, moving on. I don't know if I would like want this prop around at all. I feel like it could explode at any moment. Yeah. Like an unexploded bomb. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it's like you a know? farmer in a French field finding ordinance from World War One. Yeah. I don't think it's safe to be around this table anymore. Yeah. You got to call like professionals to come deal with this thing. Yeah. This is a scene that ends poorly for them both. Tuvok shoves Neelix and the doctor has to tell him to leave for his own safety. The doctor can be shoved and not hurt. Yeah. Shove him all you want. Speaking of glass, Seven is staring out of the bum out window in Neelix's restaurant after hours when Neelix comes in. Seven is really pondering the, like, how do you find people with advanced cloaking technology problem? And you think that, 
like like you know like sometimes the the fool will say the thing that makes the smart person realize that they've been thinking too inside the box in some critical way and and it'll crack the code you've been thinking too smart about things <laughs> you know like me and you on this show right <laughs> instead it is seven that helps neelix in this moment wow don't give up on Tuvok. Yeah. Keep working with him. But also, don't try to bring back the old Tuvok. Try to show him how to be a new Tuvok. A simpler Tuvok. You think the Borgs ever gave up on the idea of Lacutus? Hell no! <laughs> Trust me. The opposite. That shit's gonna come around. <laughs> it may not be now. It may not be ten years from now. But... In between 20 and 30 years from now, it's going to be a thing. And it will change my career. I don't know about yours, Neelix. <laughs> It'll be great for me. <laughs> yeah, so the advice is like, you know, Tuvok is changed, has gone through a fundamental change. I like the brutality of Seven's advice here, though, too, right? Like, she's not exactly right either. Like, Seven is fitting round patients into cube-shaped holes by going like, you know, I was <laughs> damaged by the Borgs and I figured it out. Like, yeah. Tuvok can do the same. I mean, but she would do that, right? Because it's round escape pods that fit into cube-shaped ships. So, you know. See what you did? You just explained the entire thing to a simple FOD. Best boss I ever had. I'm down to the bottom of my hoof, man. I, I can't help it. Oh, I'm almost there, too. This is great. <laughs> so in Six Bay, Neelix arrives reinvigorated and with a fresh perspective. Tuvok is there where I guess he's been living. He continues to live in Six Bay? Maybe. Well, all his stuff is there, you know. He spends enough time there to be making origami flowers. Yeah, he's he's made a wax flower for Neelix, and this thing is great. And Neelix is like so impressed by the act of creativity that Tuvok has done. He should be more impressed by the really great apology. I shouldn't have shouted at you. I was angry. I'm sorry. This is not a big city apology at all. This is great. This is quad box like i actually talked to a crisis pr firm and like had help writing this kind of apology oh i wouldn't say that i wouldn't say apologies are that great when that happens <laughs> this is a sincere apology <laughs> and unlike before where i think maybe it was the newness of what tim russ was doing that made me feel weird uh -huh. i think tim russ's takes here are magical and the way his voice has changed is maybe the most apparent in this scene because he has the most to say. But that combined with how his face seems to have changed, like he's also smiling more. I like to smile. <laughs> Me too. He feels more natural in the situation that he finds himself in. And I don't know, man. I like this Tuvok. He seems cool. It's a really weird acting challenge, I think, because it's, like, I think a lot of the time in Star Trek when a character is asked to play, like, a different version of their character, it's like, amp up one part or yeah. be kind of a caricature of something or play, you know, 
a sex worker in the old west version of yourself mm -hmm. or whatever and this is like strip away all the sophistication and control of your character and be like a really like affable dumb version <laughs> of your character uh-huh and like how the fuck do you ever do that how did you do that <laughs> i don't know how to do that i don't know i wouldn't know how to play an unsophisticated dumb is what i'm saying and i'm really impressed I mean, I think there's 500 episodes of evidence of that, Ben. Yeah. At least. Yeah. And so this inspires Neelix to suggest that Tuvok explore more of his creative side, and we smash cut to the results of that in the restaurant where Tuvok has become the pastry chef of the ship. He's made a Ziggy Piggy for Tom and Harry. The single greatest ice cream spectacle known to man. Who think it tastes great. And uh, they're, like, really impressed with the ingredient combos. He's a real, like, chat GPT for dessert recipes. Yeah, it sure seems that way. I mean, it's not just that he enjoys the process of this. It's that the process has yielded successful results. And that's almost a relief, right? Right. It's, it's not like, cool, we can put two Vicks to work in the mess hall scrubbing pots and pans and like at least he's got a job at least like he's off doing something right like it's a way to keep him central as a character if this is how it goes for him and when Janeway walks in she's I mean everyone knows this she's the final word on souffle quality oh that is delicious I'm pleased that you like it she fucking loves it. She thinks it slaps. She's like, I like this as much as I like vegetable broth. And that's a lot. Is there a way you could turn this souffle into broth? <laughs> In one of your weird flavor and texture combinations. She really sneaks this question in sideways. Like, she's like enjoying her souffle and, and just kind of like... Apropos of nothing, is like, hey, by the way, do you remember anything about that extremely shitty and upsetting memory that like almost sent you into apoplectic shock before when we asked you? There's coffee in what happened on the flyer. I didn't like this moment at all for Janeway. It seemed mean, right? It did. It really did. And like, if it were someone besides Tuvok here or the simplified version of Tuvok, I feel like they would have clapped back at her pretty hard. But it's bad. It scares him. There's an amazing shot of Neelix like turning and looking like at the back of Janeway's head with like betrayal in yeah. his eyes. Yeah. When she does this, he can't quite articulate what he hears. And she's like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. I'm, I, I didn't mean to like make you feel uncomfortable, man. And he uses the like piping bag to put a sine wave on the top of the cake that he's icing. He's roped all over the cake, Ben. <laughs> I guess you can say I sexed it up for you. No extra charge. And this is the cloaking frequency. Yeah, so he couldn't access this information directly. That would be too traumatic. This was in the underneath, and it came out in the frosting. Mm. So many things come out in the frosting Yeah, in that way. And it's delicious. They've analyzed this frosting. They have the Beneth cloaking frequency, and now they're using it to search a few places in the galaxy. One of these areas is enormous. Like, 
it's the brightest, glowing, suspicious, beneath part of this area, right? Like, yeah. it's not just a ship. It has to be something else. Yeah, and they do their deflector pulse, and this reveals a giant space station. Neurox on the bridge, and um, they're, like, getting ready to start talking to the station when the bangers start getting dropped on Voyager, and... Janeway gets them to stop by saying like, hey, I'm going to dox you. I'm going to post your address on the internet if you don't stop shooting at us. Yeah. That gets their attention. Yeah. They actually want to talk now. Don't dox people, Janeway. Yeah. So she's not all the way better in terms of what she would do to manipulate people to get her way, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'll not only make it possible for people to know where you are, You'll really enjoy meeting skinny Slimers. (laughs) Yeah. So she is prepared to offer them tactical data on other people that they've met around here. Yeah. Seems fucked up. Don't like that. I hope it's only assholes that that, that they've met. Like, not, it's not tactical data of like the good people. What's interesting here is what Narak does in this scene, right? Yeah. The Beneth is like, we can't trust anyone and we definitely can't trust fucking Narak. Like, his people might think him a fool and like the butt of of a joke. Yeah. But like I don't like that guy and I hope he continues to be that. But Narak himself makes himself trustworthy by sweetening the deal with his own technology. He's like, "Look, I will undo utterly what Janeway is threatening to do and then you can be safe, right?" And that's what makes the Beneath accept the deal. Yeah. He's going to give his photolytic converter technology to them. They'll be able to further conceal themselves. And uh, it's a bad deal for him because, like, he will go back and have nothing to prove all of the shit he's been saying. Like, his boss is going to be like, so how'd that go? And he'll be like, I mean, I could tell you, but you're like, there will be no evidence to corroborate what I say. Yeah. And meanwhile, here's Narak walking around with this photolithic converter that can, like, see through cloaks. Right. See through probably lots of things. Mm. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? What does that make the Beneath at this point? (laughs) But by then, Janeway's seen everything. She's seen it all. And the Beneath accept the deal. And in Tuvok's quarters, we find Tuvok listening to jazz. Yeah. In the way that I think we all did before a trip to the water park. Mm. Get yourself ready for uh, the scary water chutes. <laughs> yeah, and Neelix is like here to sort of break the bad news that they got information from the Beneath that the doctor can use to reverse the neural trauma that Tuvok has undergone. This is the Tuvix moment right here. Yeah. And for these two characters to not discuss that at all, is it just Neelix knowing that Tuvok wouldn't get the reference? I think it's partly that and partly that simple Tuvok is too nice and too simple to rage out against this. Because it's very clear that simple Tuvok wants to be simple Tuvok. In a few hours, you'll be yourself again. I am myself. Simple Tuvok would never have a scene at the end of Tuvix where where Tuvix like pointed the finger at everyone murdering him. Yeah. Simple Tuvok instinctively knows this is wrong, but doesn't have the confidence to say this is wrong. Yeah. 
Simple two bucks just following orders. Available now in pawnshop.biz, the hashtag Je suis Tuvix shirt and also the hashtag Je suis Simple Tuvox shirt. Yeah, I like that. That'll be great. Can we make those mugs? I think that'd be a good mug too. Yeah, the the graphic will be available on lots of different types of products. Okay. Podshop.biz? I think Tuvok tragically has arrived at a point where he's comfortable with who he is. And that's a point that I hope to arrive at at some point in my life. He's all right with that. And he doesn't take the news of being turned into the previous version of Tuvok as a positive development for him at all. <laughs> it really doesn't. It's bad. He wants to have fun. Tuvok doesn't have fun. Simple Tuvok does. Simple Tuvok has a ton of fun. Yeah. Loves dessert. Yeah. They taste good. But Neelix reassures him. The thing is, Simple Tuvok, you will still experience emotions when we fix you up. It's just in a very Vulcan way. And he's not wrong about this, right? Like all Vulcans experience emotions. It's just what they do with them. That makes the difference. The argument that the crew needs Tuvok, also one that was leveled against Tuvix. Yeah. He needs of the many's simple Tuvok here in a pretty astounding form of that argument. Yeah. I think that the one of the most interesting fears that simple Tuvok has is they like, I want to still be pals when this is over. Isn't it weird, though, that that doesn't quite read on Neelix the way you might hope? Like, as far as friends go, he doesn't have many. Things have been going great here. Like, it is a tragedy for Neelix, too, but Neelix puts on that stiff upper lip. Like, he's, as badly as he's wanted to be a security officer, and as much as Simple Tuvok represents a way to become one, (laughs) he limits himself in careers by writing for this and limits himself socially, right? I think that is low-key the worst part of this episode because he's basically saying, like, you're not as valuable a friend to me as regular edition Tuvok is a asset to the ship. You're too simple for me to be, like, that worried about losing as a friend. This is almost like the way we were a couple of years into Greatest Gen. Like, you remember how, like, we were friendly, but we were not, like, really good friends because we did not want to destroy the show? (laughs) But now we're friends. Yeah. Now if our friendship goes away, the show definitely goes away. (laughs) I was talking to my wife about this recently. She was like, you guys have really, like, you're really, like, getting vulnerable with each other. (laughs) You know? You like show each other your dark sides now in a way that's like really intense. <laughs> I mean, that's great for the show, right? Oh, it's good stuff. <laughs> it's all about what's best for the show, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, they take him down to Six Bay and undo the effects of the Beneath beam. And we get a little a little button on the episode. Regular edition Tuvok, cleared for duty by the MH, is back in uniform and comes down and sits at uh, an empty table in Neelix's restaurant. And Neelix sort of gets to test, like, how much their friendship has vanished. How about a celebratory glass of champagne? Tea will suffice. I think Tuvok is a dick. 
And here's why. It doesn't matter whether or not you subscribe to Logic Rules Everything Around Me. Leem, get the money, dollar dollar bill, yo. Because I think it is logical to, after this procedure is done, I don't think his mind has been wiped. His memories are still there of what happened. You got to roll up to Neelix and thank him for what he did for you. I think it is messed up that Tuvok walks around the ship like everything's fine and completely neglects to recognize the solid that Neelix did for him and, and like makes Neelix roll up to him in the mess hall. I think that's a dick move by Tuvok, and I don't think it has anything to do with logic. Do you think that his, like, tagging Neelix's riddle joke, though, is, like, the metaphorical version of that? By giving Neelix another punchline for his bit, does Tuvok sort of... I think that's, like, the thing that abusive relationships are, which is, like, dickhead, 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 and then, like, a little bit of kindness... Every once in a while is all of a sudden like, you just don't know him like I do. When he gives me another tag for my riddle. Yeah. It's like so special. Yeah, it's not. (laughs) It's about him. Wow. Like the show believes something differently about Tuvok than I do in this moment. Yeah. Which is like, isn't it great that Tuvok has chosen his life of deprivation once again? And the invitation to help prepare desserts at a party in his honor is meant to be a symbol for what this is, that Tuvok is back. Tuvok is back and dessert is off the menu, boys. Yeah, it sure is. Well, I think we know how you feel about Tuvok, but how do you feel about this episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time, but I don't like bullying, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I really like talking about it, and it's one of those like mind-bending Star Trek episodes that is like a great conversation starter. Yeah. A great argument starter, really. <laughs> Thought it was a great first directorial effort from uh Roxanne Dawson. Like I like the book ending of the top-down rotating camera shot that mirrors the one in the beginning. I thought yeah. that was cool. Like everything else was like right down the middle, looked good. Felt good. It's a very actorly episode to be giving to a first-time director. Yeah, and I wonder about how, like, if you're not the star of the show, like, Janeway's not in this very much, but, like, if it's better for you as a Roxanne Dawson to direct an episode that centers another person on your level in the cast, instead of, like, if you're being made to direct Kate Mulgrew the whole time. I I don't feel like that would be as comfortable, you know? Right, right. But as it is, I liked seeing Tim Russ this way. I liked seeing all the gears of the gearbox for Tim Russ Yeah. in this episode. I thought that was good. It's like seeing 150 springs fly out of a watch. Exactly. <laughs> Sounds like a really bad date. Sucked. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it's just like, this is a show that denies the existence of Tuvix the episode even now. Yeah. And it would be so interesting for that moment to be recognized here. So, yeah, that that's what I think. What about you, Ben? I think I feel very similarly to you about this episode. I really enjoyed watching it, too. And um, I definitely felt as I was watching it that 
there were many, many moments where I felt Tim Russ's performance could have tipped into the like, this fucking sucks and is actively bad. Yeah. And I think that it is kind of remarkable how deftly he rides that line. Yeah. I didn't make the simple Jack comparison in my head before you brought it up, but like, I think that that's kind of what it is, is like he has to find a way to make a character who is like extremely limited in what they can experience and express that doesn't feel like a dunk on that character. I think he did a great job. And I think Roxanne Dawson did a great job directing that performance. Yeah. Well, Adam, do you want to go uh, into the Priority One inbox and see if uh, there's anything simple in there? Hopefully they're all messages uh, at a reading level above where Tuvok was at for most of this episode. <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first Priority One message is from Ford and SC, and it's to Adam and Ben, and it goes like this. I discovered TGG about six months ago, and after a few apps, I realized that if I didn't start from episode one, I'd miss half the jokes. I finished TNG, and I'm halfway through DS9. Thanks to TGG, my wife finally watches TNG by choice. She didn't really care about Trek, but enjoys bad wigs, reused sets, and clever critique. Thanks for all the great pod. God, what must it be like to be married to a person that also wants to listen to your podcasts? <laughs> Amazing. You know, this message made me think of the Greatest Generation podcast wiki. Yeah. Which has been around for years and years. Uh, greatestgen.fandom.com is where you can make sure you're current on all the jokes we tell. Updated even recently, like with uh, references from Biff Yeager's Regional Ice Complex. Right. And Podcast of the Dead. Like, great work's being done over there. Wow, that's awesome. And if you're confused about any kind of jokes, here's where you find out. That's great. Our recent stream, which I think will still be available as of the release of this date, if you still want to catch the reencounter in Farpoint, it's still available at greatestgentour.com. But, um,. My my wife was like, we should like uh, we should do something for the for the premiere, like you know, have Adam and his wife over and like have a little a little gathering and you know, do it up, like have a little celebration. And I was like, I don't think you or Adam's wife would enjoy like the actual show. No, not at all. <laughs> Wouldn't happen. Yeah. Let's watch something else. <laughs> can, yeah, can we put something else on? But yeah, thank you, Ford and SC, and thanks to uh, your spouse as well. Ben, our second priority one message is from Mike, son of Fred. It is to Jack, son of Fred. The message goes like this. I may have dishonored the house of Fred by submitting this request too late. How could I have forgotten my brother's birthday? <laughs> I hope your birthday was glorious. May you continue to slay your enemies on the tennis court or whatever field of battle you choose. Wow. <laughs> One of the rare Kern voices I managed to get through without uh, spontaneously crying or voice cracking. 
<laughs> ben, I've recently asked friend of DeSoto, Chris Caraba, for vocal exercise advice. Oh, wow. Because he's a guy that, like, his singing style is very, like, intense. There's a lot to it. Yeah, no kidding. And I'm like, I would love a couple of things that I could do before a show to, like, make sure I don't get into coughing spasms or start crying. As I did at the re-encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. And I'm going to work on some stuff, thanks to him. Are you going to start having, like, honey tea before we go on stage or something like that? If that ends up being the secret... I'll be a little disappointed. Like, I actually want to do a thing, you know? But yeah, I mean, whatever it is, I'm willing to try it because Friends of DeSoto are, are worth it. They're worth our shitty impressions. So that one goes out to Mike, son of Fred. Yeah. Uh, happy birthday, Jack, son of Fred. It looks like we did miss your birthday by more than a couple of months. But uh, I, I think the house of Fred is uh, in good standing as, as of this. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, you know, this puts him back in the in the good column, honor wise. Hope so. Well, if you have a priority one message that maybe even includes a character impression, I'm getting better and better at doing those. <laughs> Go to maximumfun.org/jumbotron to submit yours today. Get in the queue. Uh, the line is long, but uh, it's not too long. Yeah, it's worth standing in. Yeah. Hey Ben, what's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Oh, man. I think I'm going to give it to Nurak. I like that Nurak is just like a... He's just like, hey, man, I'm really glad to be here and, like, do my project with you guys. Like, nothing stressing Nurak out. Nurak is interested the whole time. And then Nurak is prepared to throw himself entirely under the bus to just have the knowledge that he was right. All along. I wish we got the postscript to Nirok. Uh, also, Nirok is my drunk Shimoto. <laughs> but like that, he pulled it off and this whole thing worked. And he has ascended the company that he works for. Right. Or, or like the political organization he's a part of. I could have hung out with him for just a moment longer. Like in the way that, uh, what was the episode with uh, Kurtwood Smith? And and the hair doll and the time ship and all that. Right, right. You remember that postscript to that episode where like we see him in a timeline where all that shit doesn't happen, but it seems pretty inevitable that it will? Right. Like this is a show that's capable of giving us a postscript side story about a non-cast character that has a post-show life. I wonder about him a lot and I hope he's okay and I think he is. I hope he's okay, but I also like the idea that he goes back and is like, yeah, that didn't pan out, and like nothing I can tell you would make you feel like this was worth it at all. Well, that's just it, right? Because he gave away the technology that would have given him that promotion. Yeah. So it's unclear, isn't it, whether or not like there's that space in between the giving of and the species using it to further obscure themselves that like right. maybe that doesn't benefit him at all. It probably doesn't. Could Voyager have given him like some kind of record to take back and show his boss to show that this was something? Nirak, thank you for your help. Here is a two VHS cassette <laughs> of what you've done here. And then his boss is like, you gave the photolytic scanner away? Are you fucking, 
We just found out that these guys actually exist and you gave that away? Fuck! These guys have tentacles. You're gonna kill someone. <laughs> well, uh, that was a ton of fun to do, Adam. I'm, I'm all out of hoof drink. And, Me too. Uh, right on time, I think. I decided not to get into my, uh, my tequila beverage, which was... <laughs> I was taking a car home from the airport and they gave me this tequila beverage, but I was I got one of those too. Oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't drink it in the car. I was just too Yeah. I was too tired. I was too everything to drink in the car. But yeah. um yeah, I'm gonna throw it back in the fridge, save it for another day. Yeah. The next episode of Star Trek Voyager Adam is season six, episode seven, Dragon's Teeth. Mysterious corridors in space lead to the discovery of an ancient civilization. Hmm. Do you remember this episode? Is this a familiar ancient civilization? This is not a familiar ancient civilization. Uh. But, uh... All right. What is familiar is the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker, where our runabout is all the way down on square 12 after having gone through a space butthole. I did that. I did that to us. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. It happens. I'm going to uh, set us up for a die roll. It looks like the only thing we could hit is a quartz bar, which would be pretty intense follow-up to what we've done here today. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. That's great. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I feel like Rene Russo in Tin Cup. Like, just just roll it, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. I think I hit some kind of a, a glitch because I went back up the space butthole. You can do that? I'm on square 50 now. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. What? I don't know. I don't know how to explain what just happened. I didn't think that these space buttholes were were bi-directional. Wow. But apparently this one was. What? Yeah. I think that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, no notes. Yeah, let's not change this at all. The bug is good, but uh, it is definitely a bug. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Square 50. Fun stuff. We will uh, have a regular episode next week, and uh, I am looking forward to it. Yeah, you and me both, Ben. I also look forward to the support we get every month at MaximumFun.org slash join. Yeah. It's a way we can continue to live. It's a way that Wendy can continue to live. And it is so appreciated by all of us here at Expert Shimoda. It really is. Uh, we also appreciate the music made for us by Adam Ragusea, who uh, has a great podcast of his own, the Adam Ragusea Podcast. I forgot to take my Broad, Ben. Have you taken your Broad? I have not taken my Broad. All right, I'm going to do that. do that right now. Hey, thanks to Broad for helping us feel a little better after a drinking episode. That's a free plug for Broad. Thanks to Bill Tilly, the card daddy who runs the At Greatest Trek social media accounts. Thanks to everybody that tuned in for the re-encounter at Farpoint stream. And uh, you got a couple of days left if you're interested in catching that. GreatestGenTour.com. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. One of the best things we've ever done. I really believe that. I just had such a great time. And, um, yeah, the reviews are in. You know, it's good. The reviews are mid, but the time was sus. <laughs> but you're going to love watching it. Yeah. GreatestGenTour.com. FODs love mid-sus times. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Why else would they listen to this? Exactly. <laughs> Thanks to Nick Dittmore who made our show art and uh, get something at podshop.biz and all of that great stuff. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation of Voyager that uh, seems to have gone through some kind of mysterious corridor in space to get us up to square 50. I don't know what the fuck happened. Oh, that's wild how our game worked like the episode. It really did. act is that maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned audience supported